0: This is the Mother Jones Podcast. I'm Jamila King in Crown Heights. I'm recording this again from my bedroom closet as I, like you or certainly someone you know, practice social distancing. It's an increasingly locked down nation. Wherever you live, I bet your life has been disrupted in big ways and small ones. Millions of Americans are in lockdown. And this is a fast-developing story. As you're hearing this, New York City's restaurants and bars have been forced to shut down. You can only get delivery or takeout. In the midst of a crisis, the worst thing that could happen to the restaurant industry here has happened. This week, we travel to the heart of a thriving immigrant community in New York City that's been turned upside down by COVID-19. The small businesses that are the lifeblood of economic activity closed. Is this just the tip of the iceberg? Stay tuned. Mother Jones reporter Noah Lennar joins us now. Hey, Noah.
1: Hey, Jamila. How are you holding up?
0: Um, I'm hanging in there. So, Noah, for the past week, you've been looking into the effect that the coronavirus is having in a thriving immigrant community here in New York City, Which one?
1: So, yeah, I went to Flushing, Queens, which is a huge Chinatown. It's at the last stop of the seven train out in Queens. But I think when people think of New York, they just think of the Manhattan Chinatown. But the one in Flushing is in many ways more booming. It's had more luxury condo development than all but one neighborhood in all of New York City. A bustling place. But when producer Molly Schwartz and I went there on Saturday, it felt empty. It felt like being in a small town, much more like the strip malls that I'm used to from growing up in suburban New Jersey. Tell me about where you went. So it started on Wednesday when I went to a meeting of the Flushing Chamber of Commerce where they discussed what they were going to do to respond to this crisis. By the time I had gotten home on the subway, Tom Hanks was announcing that he had tested positive. The NBA season was suspended and New York St. Patrick's Day parade was canceled for the first time in 250 years.
0: Wow. Noah, I know that you went back to Flushing on Saturday to take a tour of the restaurants there. Tell me about that.
1: Hi, my name is Joe DiStefano. I'm a... Queens-based food writer and culinary tour guide. So I went with a local uh, food writer who does tours around Flushing named Joe DiStefano. He's really, kind of for people listening outside of New York, a classic New Yorker. He had a flat brim on that said Queens and then Nueva York, written across the back, wearing some Converse. And so we went to some of his favorite spots. Uh, We're in downtown Flushing, uh, which I like to affectionately call America's greatest Chinatown. (laughs) And now
2: here have many kind of food. Have a Shanghai style, Taiwan style, and a Szechuan. It's
3: like soup dumplings. We love Szechuan house. What's your favorite thing to eat here?
1: Dumplings. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
1: For a Saturday at 1.20, it's incredibly empty down here. Uh, and his attitude was that he wanted to show solidarity with these businesses that have helped support him in the tours that he operates over these past few years. So he was really just trying to carry on as normal um, with him and a few other people from the food scene here. It's interesting here, we've got like maybe, you know, 18 brown bag takeouts all lined up. And they're saying that this would usually be people who would be eating here, but yeah, it's just like line, bag after bag of takeout.
0: Noah, when you went to the restaurants in Flushing, the coronavirus was already upon us. Were you taking any precautions with how you interacted with folks on the food tour Um, and what did you see other folks doing?
1: Absolutely. I think the process of reporting this story shows just how quickly things were moving. When I went to the meeting on Wednesday, I took two subways. It took me about an hour to get to Flushing and then two subways back. When we went to the restaurants on Saturday, we drove. And while we were there, we made sure that we weren't sharing utensils, that we kept distance from people. Uh, And by the time Monday came, I wasn't going back. I was doing phone calls.
0: But right as you were finalizing, the story got a whole lot more serious. How's that?
1: Absolutely. So I started the story with the idea that what was happening in Flushing would soon spread to the rest of the city, but I had no idea how dramatic the story would turn out. On Sunday night, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that all restaurants in New York would be closing except for carryout and delivery by Tuesday. And then on Monday, Governor Cuomo announced that that would be happening by Monday night.
0: My
3: name is Vicky.
1: Tell me
0: about meeting Vicky Pan, whose mom owned Nanbei Food, one of the restaurants in the food court.
1: Yeah, so we met up at her stall, and she had just gotten back from GW in DC where classes are canceled, so she was filling her time b- by helping out her mom. Um,
3: so, my, this is my mom's store. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she actually opened like last August. Okay. So, this place is called Nanbei Xiaozi, but we have a lot of like um, specialty foods from like Fuzhou in China. So, okay. like our peanut butter noodles and like um, the Fuzhou style like wontons that we have.
1: One thing she said is a lot of people were just coming by, but what they were buying were frozen dumplings. They weren't buying anything from the stall.
3: We have a lot of people coming here to buy like frozen stuff, because we have like frozen dumplings, frozen pork buns, yeah. So a lot of them, they come and they're like, oh yeah, we're just going to stock up at home and like not really come out, yeah.
1: Like, have you had to do any like layoffs or tell people to...?
3: Yeah, for sure. So, there's, like, workers that only work, like, half a day. And, like, sometimes there's only two people here, including my mom. So, like, she kind of, like, deals with, like, the front and the back. So, she tries to, like, tell people, like, oh, like, take a break. And then, like, I'll let you know, like, if we need you or anything like that. If they have any kind of assistance for small businesses in terms of, like, emergency cash or something, do you think that she'll apply for it? I don't think she will. There's, like, loans and stuff that you could take out. But I feel like, I don't don't think my mom's going to do it. I don't know why. But she just, yeah. I think it's more about being a big hassle. Like obviously, like um, rent down here is like super expensive. She she like doesn't know any English and stuff, so like it's gonna be like a lot of paperwork and stuff like that. So yeah.
1: How do you? How does it feel on the street? Like kind of compared to how it normally feels.
3: It, it's been so empty.
1: Hey, it's Noah. How's it going?
3: Hi. Hey. Hi. Yes,
1: good. How are you? I'm right.
0: Noah, when the news of closures hit earlier this week, you got back in touch with Vicky. What did she say?
1: Yeah, she said the restaurant owners down there in the food court, they didn't know what they were going to do. They were trying to get the landlords to reduce the rent, to try to reduce the service fees that they have to pay. One thing that I think it can be hard to understand for people outside of New York is just how expensive it is to run a restaurant. Even, even a food stall on the outskirts of Flushing, rent can be $10,000 a month, service fees on top of that. The bottom line that so many business owners told me was simply that the numbers just don't work right now. Timmy Chen, the owner of a stall called Shanghai Taste and another. Another man named Wong at a Wuhan restaurant said business was down by about 80%. And Timmy Chen walked through that in great detail. Yeah. Like roughly when you're employing five people and you're paying rent, how, how much does it cost to keep this stand open a month about? A month about like 25000 at least. Wow. At least. That's, that's a lot of money. And yeah. so, and how much do you think you're bringing in in revenue a week right now? Right
3: now, start March 1st to March 14th today, yeah. I only totaled only 6000 Six thousand.
1: Yeah. Okay. For business, you know. And so you're gonna be kind of in the hole, maybe twelve thousand at the end of the month. I don't know. Maybe worse. You know, you see. Right now,
3: yesterday I only made three hundred for whole day.
1: So he was making about three hundred dollars a day at a time when he should be making about twelve hundred. At one point he held up the spike where you put order tickets on, and it was mostly empty. He said he should have about eighty at that point in the day, and he had twenty two then. Hot
4: time right now, you know. I'm yeah, sure, everybody have a hot time.
1: That month, he was on track to lose about $12,000, and that was on Saturday before the restaurant closure was announced. And then the question for a lot of these businesses is, will they be able to reopen? They're losing their deposits now to put those towards rent. And when this calms down in a couple months or who knows when, the question is, will they have the capital to reopen these businesses?
0: Finally, Noah, you spoke with John Cho from the Chamber of Commerce you were mentioning before. He sounded a dire warning. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I think the conversation that I had with John was the one that will really stick with me. And one of the things he said is that businesses in Flushing were already struggling. So in Flushing, there have been more luxury condos built in the past 10 years than any other neighborhood in New York. Rents have been skyrocketing. And as you know, margins in the restaurant industry are notoriously thin. So before this crisis hit, restaurant owners were already on edge, and this has really thrown them over it. It's a huge blow to our community that... Restaurants now have to close. We understand it's a serious public health issue. And so that's definitely something that our community wants to support in terms of addressing. However, closing the restaurants will have a huge ripple effect in the local economy. And the question for him, was what happens after this? Will they be able to reopen? Or are they going to be replaced by the big box stores, both from the US and China, that are already driving out businesses in Flushing? We're estimating up to 50% of the businesses may actually not reopen. And so his fear as the head of a chamber of commerce that really advocates for the interest of mom and pop shops is will this crisis forever transform the face of Flushing?
0: So, Noah, let's zoom out. This is just one community, although a famous food paradise, What are the fears around the country? What might this be a sign of?
1: Yeah, I started on this story because I thought flushing was in many ways a few weeks ahead of where the rest of the country and New York were. And I think that's proved to be the case. And what it looks like is a lot of fear. You have restaurant owners who are hanging on. They think they might be able to survive for another month, maybe two. When I called Timmy Chen back on Monday after the news of the restaurant closure, I asked him, what did he plan to do to respond to this? And what he said to me was, I have no plan my friend there's no plan there's nothing I can do and he said this with a bit of a smile he was kind of laughing but it was it was surreal and you knew that a much scarier reality was about to set in for him
2: I got no idea my friend ready we cannot
4: make a money we cannot pay
1: And I think that's happening to people in the service industry across the country. They don't know what's going to happen. And just like in New York, they're not sure what their government is going to be able to do or plans to do to support them, to help them get through it. So it's a story of fear in one immigrant community. But I think it's one that is now being experienced by people across the country.
0: Thanks so much for reporting on this story, Noah. Stay safe.
1: Thanks, Jamila. And good luck with recording from the closet.
0: That's Noah Leonard, a reporter at Mother Jones. Also in that tape is Molly Schwartz. Coming up, we asked you how you were helping others during this crisis. And boy, did we hear some amazing stories. You our listeners are seriously amazing. And we're going to hear those stories right after the break. While you're listening, it's always a good idea to just subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It really helps new listeners find us. So Literally, as my voice is playing in your ears, take your hand and go and subscribe. Thanks. The Mother Jones stories you're hearing right now are brought to you by our listeners and loyal readers who fuel our work. Audience support makes up two-thirds of the Mother Jones budget and helps our team dig deep on stories that matter. Make a donation at motherjones.com give to keep our nonprofit newsroom humming. Again, that's motherjones.com/slash GIVE. Welcome back. week, we asked you about disruptions already occurring in your life. That feels like a million years ago, doesn't it? You told us about making ends meet, canceling events, fearing widespread unemployment. Today, we're featuring your stories about how you're stepping up to help others, pitching in to help people around you survive. One that really stuck out to me was woman telling us how she's making an effort to smile more at people. And that's just one of the many little ways that people are really trying to take care of each other during such a scary time. Here's what you told us.
2: Hi, my name is Marianne Love. I teach fourth grade in Salt Lake City, Utah. And guess what? Tomorrow we go live with our online learning. And we made videos and we figure out how to reach them and how to touch them in a world that is so uncertain. It's really, really special because in this time of uncertainty, figuring out how to be, like, close to each other is such a really, really great thing. So, yeah, that's my story. I'm going to go to sleep because tomorrow, guess what? I'm going on to Zoom, and I got to meet my students one-on-one. And we're going to figure out how we're going to do this
5: shit in this time of uncertainty. Take care, wash your hands, and be safe. Bye. Well, good morning. My name is Andrea Gladson. I am a pilot for American Airlines, and I live in Norco, California. I responded to the post because I'm an administrator for a small town here, Norco, Town, USA. Yippee, yippee. Um, And I run a Facebook page called News for Norco. So what we decided to do as administrators is figure out how we can stay connected to our people as the quarantine continues to close down our city. We put a post up, or I put a post up asking for seniors what their needs might be and how we can help and see if we can connect them with help. Put a post up asking families with small children how we might be able to help. For example, somebody might have size two diapers that are opened um, or formula that they don't use, and somebody else might be able to use that. Also put a post up about how we can support our small business. So one of the things I suggested is that we use a platform like Groupon to try to find opportunities to purchase in advance and also go and use... Uh, gift cards, if we can, at our local uh, restaurants or businesses. And also not to forget the people that service our coffee or local restaurant that we might not normally get to tip, kind of our gig economy workers. Thanks for the post, and I'm looking for great suggestions on how we can stay connected.
4: Hi, my name is Rebecca Hoff. I live in Los Angeles, California. I currently work for Trader Joe's, Pete's Coffee, and Core Power Yoga. I am 34, I'm sorry, 35, I just had a birthday. Uh, during this COVID-19 outbreak, um, first I lost my position at Core Power Yoga because all gyms and fitness centers had to close. Then at Pete's Coffee, um we have resorted to takeout only. So minor adjustments, uh, slight pay cut, um, losing that one job. But what's most concerning is my job at Trader Joe's working in grocery on the front lines with potentially infected people because they walk around asymptomatic and still contagious. Also, the panic shopping, uh, they are terrifying people. (laughs) We're trying to keep our best faces on, um, the brave face, the happy face, um, just trying to keep everybody's morale up. But it's hard, it's exhausting. I've worked three days, 5 a.m. to 1 p.m., um, but I still have to go to work and earn that paycheck and make sure that the people of Los Angeles are fed. So I keep showing up. Um and right now we're switching over to hourly detailed cleaning. Uh, it's just a lot of cleaning. <laughs> Not pretending I'm a healthcare worker. I mean kudos to them. They have the hard job. All right, and that's that's my story for now. Thanks for listening. All right. I am in am in museums, so I currently work at a museum in North uh, Wellington, Delaware. (laughs) And um, we decided today, um, as a resource to the community, is to take our storytime program, which we do outreach programs and people actually pay for them. Uh, We're taking it online. So we're having storytime online. And we're going to read a book every morning. Uh, and post a video of it, and then any accompanying crafts or activities uh, for parents and their children, they can use. Hopefully, even though it's a few minutes long, it helps with boredom, and I think it's important that we still connect with each other and find ways. So thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Hello. My name is
2: Donnie Addison. I'm 47 years old, and I'm an e-commerce shopper with um a grocery store chain in Macon, Georgia. Um I've been trying to stay really calm. Um, and not to get overwhelmed with the panic shopping in the store. Um, I've been picking up extra shifts. Um, We need a lot of help, um, cleaning, stocking. Um, I try, I'm just really trying to stay positive and always give everybody a smile because people are so harried right now. And it's overwhelming because I have kids at home. I have a 21 21 year old college student and an 11 year old son. Um, I worry every day about all the people I'm coming in contact with, but I'm just not at the point right now where I can afford not to go to work. I also have a friend who I recently was reconnected with who um, finds that clean from drugs. I think she's been clean for about nine months now. She has a five-month-old. She's in an outpatient program, and she's not mobile. She doesn't have a car. So I pretty much just got a list together of things she needed, um, pampers, some body wash, some glasses for her kitchen, and I just ordered some stuff off of Amazon and had them sent to her house. Um, I'm just really trying to be part of the group of people that helped during the crisis and not harmed. Thank you so much for letting me share my story. Y'all have a great day, Mother Jones. See y'all soon. Bye.
5: Hi, my name is Mary Weller. I live in Portland, Oregon. I am 31 years old, and I am a, a program support assistant at for the VA. Here in Portland, I am involved through my partner with the local music scene. And there are several different musicians who are working on ways to start um, live streaming their shows to, as a way to keep our community connected to each other and keep encouraging people to stay home and stay safe.
2: Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Carlton. I'm an associate professor of chemistry at the University of California in Irvine, I'm 46. What me and my colleagues are working to do frantically uh, during the pandemic is we want to continue instruction for our students. We're all furiously at task translating our courses to online courses. And in chemistry, where there's a lot of labs, this can be very much a challenge. Um, Some of my colleagues are very creative and we're using Google Forms to make these choose your own adventure online modules. My primary responsibility is to um, train the next generation of scientific leaders. Thank
0: you for uh, taking stories. Bye. Those were your stories. We asked how you were helping each other and you really came through. So thank you for taking care of yourselves and each other.
3: Hi, I'm Molly Schwartz, a digital media fellow in the New York City office. Here are the credits for today's show. Theme music for the Mother Jones podcast was composed by Micah Barrick at Here Film. This week's episode was reported by Noah Lennard and produced by me, Molly Schwartz. It was executive produced by James West with additional production help. From Mark Kalinowski, our managing editor. And of course, credit where credit is
0: due, this show would not be possible without you, our listeners and readers. So thanks. That's it this week for the Mother Jones podcast. I'm your host, Jamila King in New York. As always, thank you for tuning in. And if you want to support the podcast, it's pretty easy to do so just subscribe. I'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Mother Jones listeners like you who donate to keep our newsroom buzzing. Help us stay on the beat. Go to motherjones.com/give.
2: From P-